Good morning. I'm so thrilled to be with you here this morning, and I cannot tell you, I can't even express how excited I am to be the campus pastor here in Tunkhannock. Um, you know, my wife and I have been attending here for two and a half years, and we've just watched God do a great work here at Bridgewater, and we're continuing to see it. Um, God is in the business of changing lives, and we expect that he'll continue to do so. And the opportunity to, for me to pour my full-time efforts uh, into this church and to serve is, is very exciting for me. So I just I, I thank you, and I, I look forward to the opportunity to serve you. And with that being said, I do have three more weeks um, of trying to close out my counseling job. Uh, I have a lot of clients that I'll be transferring to new people, some people that I'll be discharging, but I, I ask for your prayer. Um, I want to do this right. Um, I want people to, to be okay. Um, and so it's, it's an emotional process for me and for them. And, um, but at the same time, we know this is what God's next step is, is for us. And so I ask for your prayer during that time, during that transition. So this morning, before we, we dive in, um, I'm going to be sharing a little story with you about a little critter. And this little critter is very annoying. In fact, this little critter is very itchy. And what happens is, is this critter that we call lice gets into your hair. And then... <laughs> It spreads. And then we want to get a hazmat suit like, like on the office over here. It spreads and it goes all over your hair. And then it goes, you don't get too close to the next person because then it's going to be all over them, right? I don't know anybody else that does, anyone that does not cringe from even the thought of lice. All right? So I'm going to tell you a story about lice entering the Goglin household years ago. So years ago, it entered the household, and we quickly jumped into action. Where we got the, all this, this special shampoo, and, and you know what? Everybody had to, every, whether they had it or not, everybody had to do the shampoo of the hair, right? Except for me, of course. I, <laughs> I got out of that one. Um, but... But I still, you know, I still felt like it might be in my eyebrows sometimes. So I, I would ask, you know, is, is there something there? But, but we, we went through and, and did the shampoo with the kid's hair. And then Amanda's hair was also long at that time. So here I'm helping her work through this long hair with this nasty shampoo stuff. And we're trying to get it out. Got rid of it. But then, you know, then you don't want it to come back. So then... Amanda started doing all this research about how to, like, not have it ever come back. So then every day, the kids get home from school, and Amanda's blow-drying their hair. Because apparently, blow-drying the hair helps to prevent ever having it. Then, we take it a step further, and bought coconut shampoo. Apparently, coconut shampoo. You're getting an education here today. A coconut shampoo helps prevent lice, too. Then there was the washing of the clothes in very, very, very hot heat. Then it was to the point where even the kids stuffed the animals. 
They were put into plastic bags because, again, research was done. Put into plastic bags and put to the side because if there was any possibility of anything, then it would have died in those plastic bags. The, the thing about lice is that it spreads, and it spreads quickly, and it's awful, and it's itchy, and nobody wants to have it. And so Amanda was, and I did ask her for permission about this story, by the way. Um, she, <laughs> she was bound and determined that we would eliminate this from the house, and it would never, ever happen again. So that being said, let's get into our message this morning. What we've been talking about the last four weeks has been unity. We've talked about addressing a church that was riddled with problems. You see, um, we've been talking, and Paul has been pointing out that serving Jesus is about, not about following one person. It's about following Jesus. It's about being focused on the cross of Jesus Christ. And we need to be more focused on mirror-gazing, looking at ourselves, than we are pointing things out about other people. Now, that being said, we're going to shift gears and go to chapter 5 today, and we're going to talk about some crazy stuff that was actually happening in the church. And Paul talks about what reasons we would try and to divide. And that might seem like it's an exception to unity, but what it really means is that dealing with problems, we're, we're trying to deal with problems that would have the potential for division. So both this week and next week, we're going to be talking about um, sin that comes into the church and how we can get rid of it. So when we are talking about the Bible, really important things to know when we're looking at Scripture. We have to look at it and we say, what does the Bible say? Number one, what does the Bible say? And the second one is, are we willing to follow it? Are we willing to submit ourselves to God's authority and to his word? And as we approach this passage today, you may have a hard time because it might come against something that you might believe because maybe this has been used improperly by a leader in the past. Maybe over the course of church history, somebody has treated you in a certain way or judged you and disciplined you in a way that was not biblical. Or maybe you might not think that sin's a big deal. Maybe you might think that sin is not destructive. So let's take a look at the passage here in 1 Corinthians 5 and see what is the problem here. Beginning in verses 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? So Paul's getting a report that there's a man in the church that is essentially sleeping with his stepmother. Like this, he is so appalled by this. This, is, this, is, this was a, a sin that was not only appalling in the church, but this was something that he says even non-Christians wouldn't do this. They believe that this is wrong to do, and yet you're doing it. 
you know, when he uses that word pagans, he's, you know, we have a, a different meaning for pagan today, but basically pagan simply meant, you know, someone who was a non-Christian. So non-Christians at the time would even be appalled by this type of sin that was happening. But even, even, even so, this man's sin wasn't as much the problem, as it, it, but truth, truth, truthfully, struggling with sin isn't the problem, but defending sin is the problem. Maybe you struggle with sin. Maybe you wish that you could be freed from it. Maybe it keeps you down. Maybe, maybe God is working in your life and he wants you to make a next step. But because of that sin in your life, you feel too much shame. You feel, I can't make that next step. I can't do what you want me to do, God, because um, that sin that's there and that shame. But it is possible to be freed from that sin. And there is hope with Jesus. 1 John 1, 9 and 10 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. The problem is if we continue to or we defend our sin. When believers know that the Bible says and choose to outright ignore it, then they deny that what they're doing is sin. The church was ignoring the commands of Scripture regarding sexuality because they didn't want to rock the boat. And they made it that step further, and they celebrated this sin. Paul says that this, they should have kicked this man out of the church for that kind of behavior. Not, and not just because he did it, because God can forgive that, but that God said this was clearly sin. Now, this whole series, we've been talking about Unity, unity, unity. That's been the purpose. Not being divided. So Paul gives us two clear times that we should divide. And what we should divide over. We should divide over clear doctrine. If someone denies that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone, if someone denies the deity of Jesus if someone denies the sufficiency of his atonement for our sins, then we must divide because they do not believe, they do not have the faith in the gospel, even though they claim Christianity. They deny the essentials of the faith, in other words. And we divide over clear commands. When we encounter people who claim to be followers of Christ, and when they're shown the Bible, they, they just say, I don't care. Paul says, in this case, we divide from that person. However, I can't stress this enough. We don't divide over someone who is trying to do the right thing and failing. Let's keep reading in verse 3. For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. Paul says he's already passed judgment and he's passing it in the name of Jesus. And here's what you might be thinking as I'm talking here this morning. You're like, well, well wait a second. I thought that Christians weren't supposed to judge people. 
But we see in Scripture points where Jesus says to do the, these things. And the, the passage that might, maybe you've heard it before when you've confronted someone. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Judge not or you will be judged. Right? A lot of people take that scripture and they pull it out. And they say, see, you can't tell me what to do. Right? But we got to look at everything in the context of the whole passage. Jesus says, judge not or you'll be judged. And in that passage, he's talking about taking the plank out of your own eye, taking the log out of your own eye, right? Deal with yourself before you even think about dealing with somebody else. Before you even think about confronting someone else, take care of the log in your own eye so that you'll be able to see and look at the speck that's in your brother's eye. So he doesn't say there, don't judge. He says, but if you're gonna, make sure that you are right. Make sure that your heart is pure and your heart is right before God. We make judgments all the time on all sorts of things. Our justice system requires it. You can't make a verdict as a jury without making judgments about a person. But what the Bible is saying is that we can't judge motives, but we have to judge behaviors. We don't get to decide the motives that a Christian has. Jesus, later in Matthew 7, talks about judging the false teachers by their fruit and by their behavior. Whether we admit it or not, we all as humans, we make some sort of judgments. And these might be assumptions that we make, right? Um, it, based on your past interactions with people, based on your presuppositions about your past, anything that has gone on in your life, you're going to end up making some form of a judgment. You know, um, one common thing that I end up having conversations about is about tattoos, okay? I, I enjoy very much having a conversation about tattoos. I actually find tattoos fascinating, okay? Um, but I like to have those conversations because I like to get to know people, because usually tattoos tell a story, and then I can get to know a person through what's going on, you know, what has happened in their life. I, I had a friend of mine, even, um, he, had, he had all these tattoos, and he would use his tattoos to share the gospel with people. So he would go down through and point to each one, and he would share the gospel using his tattoos. So this is, this is something where, you know, people have been unfairly judged, and I've had conversations that explain the biblically accurate picture uh, so that the person does not judge the person wrongly uh, who has tattoos. But that being said, we're, we're going to end up making judgments. It is natural and we can't deny it. The reality is, is that is that judgment accurate? And most importantly, is it biblical? You see, the Bible warns against superficial judgments on motives, but we're, it's clear we're to judge behaviors. And making a judgment on behavior doesn't, is a far stretch from being a judgmental person. We're going to go on. Paul continues to deal with this man, uh, verses 4 and 5 of, of chapter 5. So when you are assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so the spirit may be, his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. So this verse isn't as complicated as we might make it. 
It's not some secret ceremony where they put on robes and they send this guy to the demons, okay? This, that's not what's happening here, all right? He's simply distinguishing between those that are in the church and those that are in the world. This man claims to be a Christian, but he's of the world. So turn him over to the world. The world is under the influence of Satan and darkness. And he is simply saying, release him from good standing and give, give him into his worldly ways. Jesus says something similar in Matthew chapter 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to even the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, even Jesus says eventually treat them as non-Christians. But I think there's something that really needs to be pointed out here because I think this goes sideways when it comes to church discipline. You know, how did Jesus treat sinners? How did Jesus treat people who were non-Christians? He loved them. He cared for them. And he spoke truth to them. I cannot drive that point home enough that we need to show them love and concern. He didn't expect them to behave like Christians because they didn't, there didn't appear to be any fruit. So we love them as if they still need confession and repentance and surrender to Jesus. And here's a major piece of it. All of this is done for the purpose that Paul lays out in verse 5. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Even those that are being confronted, the hope is that there would be restoration and healing. That's the goal. The purpose of church discipline is restoration, not punishment. When church discipline takes place, it's for the purpose that they might see the error of their ways and return to obedience and surrender to Jesus. Which is why, which is why when this happens, it should not be a wide church news. It should only be dealt with within the affected relationships. Confronting someone in their sin is one of the most uncomfortable things to do, especially if you're humble enough to recognize your own failures. Maybe you're sitting here and you're wondering, whoa, wait a second. You heard, I heard that Bridgewater, you, you come as you are, and, and we love you, and we're not afraid of your mess. And that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. But obeying 1 Corinthians 5 doesn't make us unloving. It actually demonstrates our love and that we desire unity and closeness and a right relationship with Jesus Christ. It is never loving to overlook a Christian's self-destructive behavior. Paul is saying the most loving thing you can do for this man is to let him know how destructive his behavior is. It would be unkind and unloving for us to watch a Christian walk towards destruction without at least warning them. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 says this, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way 
will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. But what we must do as a Christian is that we must, this must be done in love. I'll tell you what, whether you're confronting sin or you're simply pointing out what, how you believe a person should handle this situation, it must be done in love. It should be evident in our tone, in our eyes, and in our heart. It should be evident that we love that person. If it gets to the point, even after loving intervention, that they won't repent, we are told not to let them remain in good standing. But it does not mean we don't want them to attend church. We want them here, but we can't pretend that the behavior is not destructive. It might, it might involve them stepping down from a ministry that they may be involved in. But we still want them to, to be coming here. We want to love on them. Paul goes on to say why. Verses 6 to 8. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, is our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, leaven was used symbolically for sin. Paul is saying a little sin that goes undealt with is going to infiltrate and get into everything. It could potentially ruin the church. Just like the lice that gets into your hair and drives you crazy, right, and spreads. Sin can infiltrate the church. This man wasn't running to the cross. He wasn't repenting. He wasn't looking for help. He wasn't motivated by the cross to live differently. Paul needs to clear something up for them, and it's a distinction that's important for us to understand too. Let's continue in verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. They misunderstood that he meant this was not about not, association with not, not associating with non-Christians. They thought they were supposed to avoid people who sin. Well, if we did that, we'd all be... We'd have to become a monk or live in a cave, right? So, but that's not what he means. It's people who claim to be followers of Christ who won't repent. He's saying we're to distance ourselves from them who claim to follow Jesus but don't. This seems clear perhaps maybe until we get into small group. I'm sure that you might be possibly dreading talking about this topic in small group this week. Um, but... We need to be careful here. As I talked about before, we need to be doing these things in a loving way. So there's a question I do not want you to ask in small group this week, okay? You ready for it? Remember, do not ask this question, okay? Okay, 
Who in here is dealing with some major disturbing sin and would like to share about it today? Yeah, yeah, don't do that. Um, direct questions should be addressed on an individual basis and by people that have a close and trusting relationship. This should not be something that, you know, you feel like you have to share in small group. It's just so you know that this week. Um, so let's continue, and, and um, Paul talks about, continues to talk about those outside the church, and he concludes with this in verses 12 and 13. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Paul again ends by saying, God will judge non-Christians unless they repent and fall into his grace. But the church ought to be handling their business in their midst. I would hate for us to get to the end of this conversation, this difficult conversation, and miss the point. So here's our th- a few things in closing. <clears throat> Number one, too many, Christian, too many churches ignore the blatant sin of Christians. Too many Christians ignore the blatant sin of other Christians. Too many Christians think it's our job to avoid non-Christians. Our job is to go into the world and to bring the good news of Jesus, not to isolate from it. And then too many Christians judge non-Christians by Christian standards. Don't expect someone who does not follow God to live like they do. Of course they don't follow his rules. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. If we judge them by God's standard of behavior, we end up creating some sense of moralism and making faith sound like it's a works righteousness sort of deal. But if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, we want to make it explicitly clear that following Jesus is not about following a set of rules in order to be saved. It's not moral hoop jumping. Christianity is about forgiveness, redemption, and healing. It's not about our good works that get us to heaven. It's about the good work that Jesus did. It's about his perfection that gets us to heaven. So choosing to live in obedience to Christ and repenting quickly when we fail is really what's best for us and most glorifying to him. If we understand how destructive our sin is, we would welcome and rejoice when God graciously reveals it to us by his grace. You know, going back to the story about lice from earlier, what if we all treated sin like my wife treats lice? What if we were so determined to get rid of it to get to, and to keep it out of our lives? What would we do? Would we do whatever it takes to eliminate it from our heart, from our home, and from our church? The unity in the church could perhaps be even more attainable. I want you to think about an application this week. Whenever you would spend time with God, whether it's morning, night, evening, lunchtime, I want you to say a prayer and talk with God about where you're at with your walk with him and is there anything that needs to be weeded out in your own life. And I would ask you to pray this verse. 
Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As we move forward, we continue to pursue unity and we continue to pursue what God is doing in in changing lives. Let him work on those hard areas where that need to be weeded out this week. I will be doing this and I ask that you do it as well. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we can never thank you enough for your loving grace and your loving mercy in our lives where you offer the free gift of salvation through your son Jesus. And then you offer for us to walk with you. How great it is. Your scripture says to taste and see that the Lord is good. And you are good. You are so good. I pray, God, that we would honor you, that we would weed out any areas of our life that need to be weeded out and that we would draw closer to you and that we would reach this world for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.